I'm looking forward to starting that series next week out of Ecclesiastes, those big philosophical questions of life. Um, also, just so that you can kind of tuck this away, later in the summer, we're going to do an exploring Christianity, the theological side questions about who is Jesus, can I really trust the Bible, etc. That's going to be a Sunday morning Sunday school before service. Be a great opportunity to invite someone who has questions. Maybe you yourself have questions or you want to brush up on what are the essentials of the faith, that, that will be for you, okay? So looking forward to starting that next week. Um, this morning, you're going to be blessed. My good friend Mike Colley, who pastors New Covenant Church down in Larkspur, is going to share the message with you. And Mike's just, he's just a good dude. You look up good dude in the dictionary and his, his picture's there. Mike has been a good friend to me for the last seven years or so. Uh, he, God used him to walk me through the, probably one of the darkest seasons of my life and in my walk. And uh, you hold a special place in my heart, brother. And excited to hear what he has God's put on his heart for you guys this morning. So would you give Mike a big uh, welcome this morning? Thanks, Scott. You know, it's, um, uh, you know how you have friends that you, you, you build this relationship with and you start to build this friendship with, and, and you just, even when you meet them the very first time you hang out with them, you realize that your hearts are aligned. And a lot of things you, you don't have to explain. You don't have to communicate as well. You don't have to give all the details they understand as you explain stuff to them. And Scott's been one of those guys for me. You know, you have, you have those friendships you make that uh, uh, I would say for Scott and I, we get together what, one, maybe once every six months. But our friendship is one of those kinds of friendships that we pick right back up. You know what I mean? It's not like we have to spend tons of time figuring out how to communicate again and how to speak again and, uh, and even how to use the right words. He's just one of those kinds of friends. And it's interesting. I use that as, a, as an example because what I want to talk this morning about is relationship. And if you think about your relationships and those people and things, the, maybe the, the things you have relationship with and the kinds of, by things I mean kind of uh, groups of people or maybe church would be a place where you have relationship. Or maybe it's God, relationship with God. But if we're honest with ourselves, relationships are the things that define us the most. My mom passed away about three years ago. And when she passed away and, and she went to be with Jesus and spent eternity with Jesus, she's not missing me. She's, she's you know, she's hanging out with Jesus. She's having a great time. But I miss her. Because it's a relationship, you know, I mean, it's, that, it's that closeness, it's that bond, and that's the way it feels for us when things break or relationships break or we miss. Years ago, I used to lead a young adult ministry uh, at another church, and uh, when I was pastoring that group, the number one question they would always ask is, who am I going to marry? That was it. They would go, well, God's not speaking to me. I'm praying, I'm asking him fervently, and he's not talking to me. And I would say, well, what is the question you're asking? Well, who am I going to marry? Because it was the thing that defines when you're in that place, your late teens, early 20s, you start thinking about how you're going to be defined. And one of the ways we define ourselves is who we're married to or who, who we're in that kind of relationship with. You know, when I introduce my wife, I don't say this is my homegirl, Christy. She's my wife, 
Christy, right? I mean, she, that's how I even introduced her. When Scott introduced me just now, he didn't say, this is some guy I dragged in off the street. He, he said, no, this is my friend, Mike, who's also a pastor. See how he's defining that relationship even for you. And so what I want to look at this morning is the way that Jesus defines relationship with us. And so we're going to go back to his very first miracle. It's going to be in John 2. So if you want to open up your Bibles, I'm going to pray, and then we'll, we'll dive in and start looking at that. This, this miracle where he turns water into wine, and there's a lot happening in this story. And I think it speaks a lot to us about the way Jesus defines relationship with us. Okay? So let's pray, and we'll uh, dive right in. Thank you so much, Jesus, that you, you came to this earth, you made a way so that we could have true relationship with you. That we don't have to go through anybody or anything. There's no form or function to it, Lord. We just get to have straight relationship with you because of the work you did on the cross and the work you did in the resurrection. And I ask this morning, Lord, that as we dig into this story, this very first miracle, that, Lord, you would speak to our hearts. You would get past our minds and speak to our hearts and draw us into even deeper relationship with you. Thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's go. I, just a couple quick things for you, real kind of important stuff. This is the moment where Jesus now where he goes into this, to this uh, he goes home for this wedding feast. But what's happened right before this is that we have in the Gospel of John, John explaining the kind of the first week of the life of Jesus in his ministry. So what Jesus has done is he's gone. He's met with John the Baptist. He's been baptized. John the Baptist has said, hey, to a couple of his disciples, that's the guy, he's the real deal, follow him. Jesus then has this prophetic moment where he, he talks to one of the disciples and says, I saw you sitting underneath the tree. Those guys start to follow him. And all of a sudden now, at the end of his first week, he's going back home to this wedding. And he's kind of got these disciples now following him. And they don't really understand yet what's happening. But they realize the guy's got something going on. All right. So here's what happens. And we, we start in verse 1. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana, I'm sorry, at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Verse 4, dear woman, why do you involve me, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. All right, so here we are. On the third day, what that means is, is John's setting up this first week. And if you go back to the very end of, of John 1, he's explaining what happened kind of on the, the day where he got baptized. And then it says the next day. And then it says the next day. And then it says the next day. And then it's on the third day. So it would have taken two days for them to travel from Galilee to now this place in Cana. And so here you have Jesus shows up at this wedding. A couple things you need to know about weddings. Weddings would last about seven days. So... When people got married in those times, it was a party. Think about that. For those who have been through a wedding ceremony, do you remember how fast you wanted it to be over and everybody to go away? Come on. You did. I mean, you were being polite, but there was a certain point where you were like, okay, I'm, I'm ready to go enjoy my honeymoon. Bye-bye. Go. So, seven days. And they're all together, and there's this whole group of people. And so to run out of wine, that was a big deal. It's a major social faux pas. It would be like showing up at the wedding reception, and they go, okay, we got meals for half the people here. And it, it's a big deal, right? So you see that. This is, there's something wrong here. 
Jesus' mom comes to him and says, hey, they've run out of wine. And, and I'm sure for Jesus at this moment, he's thinking, what, what, what do you want me to do? I'm going to run down to the liquor store and pick you up with a couple more bottles. What are we looking for? Let me go out to the vineyard, have my guys go out and pick grapes and start mashing the product. What, what, do, you, what do you want? And in this moment where he says, my time has not yet come, it's not where I'm headed this morning, but I want to explain what's happening here. What Jesus is telling his mom is that, hey, once I start doing miraculous signs, once I start doing miracles in my, in my name and in the name of God, I'm on my way to the cross. Now, it's still a couple years away, but I'm on my way. We're, that's where I'm headed once I do this. Because the kingdom of God is going to break in and things are going to change. And everything's going to start changing. So that's what he's meaning by this line, my, my time's not yet come. If I do this, it starts, it starts the clock ticking, so to speak. All right? So let's go down, verse 6. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. Let's stop there. So... You know, these, these trash cans are, you know, yay big. You use them to put try, you use them to clean up your yard or maybe you have them to put out. Not quite the big ones that the waste management has, but, you know, the 20 or 30 gallon, gallon trash cans, those big ones. You know what I'm talking about. That's the idea of these stone jars. So imagine stone jars, yay big, that these guys are now having to carry. Now, this is first century Israel, there's no water spigots. There is a well in the center of town. If this is a really, really, really wealthy family, they might have a well. But odds are that even then, they're having, now these servants are having to literally carry these stone jars. I mean, I, I can't imagine how much these things would have weighed. In the town, putting water in them. And again, it's not like they just turn on the hose, right? They got to pull the water up, dump it in, put the, you get the picture, right? This is, Jesus wasn't just saying, hey, pull the hose up and fill them up. He's asking them for a day's worth of work. You know, sometimes when we ask God to move, we want it to happen right then, don't we? And sometimes there's actually work associated with it. And I'm sure these servants were kind of going, does this guy realize what he's asking us to do? Does he realize how much work is involved here? How many times have you felt like the Lord's asked you to do something and you go, Lord, do you realize what, that's, that's like real work on my part? Where's this whole grace thing? You know what I mean? I, I just want to sit and soak a little bit in that. So they, they, these jars, let me explain a little bit more. For ceremonial washing, what the Jews would do is they would fill these jars up. The stone would keep germs and things and dirt and stuff from staying there. It would be easy to keep clean. And these were the jars that the Jews would use to symbolically wash themselves physically to get prepare themselves for the Sabbath or to worship Yahweh. And what a neat moment that the very first miracle that Jesus does, he's basically redefining all of Jewish history. He's saying no longer will you physically have to use 
a ceremonial outward washing thing. I'm going to take what you have used to wash yourself and prepare to worship. We're actually just going to use it to throw a party. And that's the cool stuff, right? I mean, here Jesus is taking the most kind of symbolic thing. I mean, these servants are carrying these things in the middle of town. Probably everybody's looking at him going, why are they getting the jars ready? It's not time. You know, what are they doing? And then, and then they, they start dipping it in and take it to the master of the banquet, and they're going, wait a second, we just are we're drinking out of these? We're not supposed to drink out of these things. That's not what they're for. But Jesus takes that which is old and turns it into something new. You see that? What a great moment here where his first miracle, he's really setting up and saying, hey, that, all that stuff of the Old Testament, it's important. All that stuff of the Torah and the law, very, very important stuff. But it was all pointing to me, and now I'm going to do something new. All right? So let's move down. Let's go to verse 9. Get into the meat of the story here. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside. Instead, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. Verse 11, this, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. Man, there's a lot going on here, but let me explain real quick. Master of the banquet, he's like, he's like a wedding planner. He's like the guy who's running around making sure everybody's happy and they're doing well. Understand, too, that in this day, the, you know, they brought out the best wine first and the not-so-good wine later. So it would be like, uh, you know, you go out and you, you buy a, a, a case of fat tire beer for all your guests, and, and then you got some, some Coors Light in the cooler that you're holding on to. You don't, okay. All right, so you, you get the picture, though. You, you start with the good stuff. And even though they're not getting drunk, and I'll explain that in just a minute, the idea is your taste buds change, right, don't they? I mean, you know, the fir- if you ever sit down and have a glass of wine, the first sip tastes really strong, and maybe the ne- next sip is not as strong, and it's kind of, that's the way it works in your taste buds. It works that way with any food, too. Master Bank was saying, hey, look, it's, man, this is the best stuff. Where you, you've been holding out on us. I wonder at what moment that water turned into wine. I wonder, was it when the servants were filling it up or when they carried it back or when they actually dipped it and handed it to the master? We'll never really know, and it doesn't really matter. But Jesus does this amazing miracle, and they never really point to the moment, do they? All right, so in those days, by the way, the wine was watered down. What they would do is they would mix wine with water. Remember how Paul tells Timothy, I would prefer you take a little bit of wine with your meal. The idea was the wine would kill the bacteria in the water was safer to drink. Does that make sense? So they're not trying to get everybody hammered here, but they're, what they were trying to do is still have good wine as they go forward that would keep the water. It's a watered-down version. Probably, historians and theologians believe that it was probably somewhere four parts of water to one part of wine. So it was very watered-down. All right, it's like flavored water. All right, so here we go. Now we have this miracle, and. What I love about this miracle is, it, look, look at verse 11 again. So this was to reveal his glory. And his disciples believed in him. See, the key here is faith. 
And so if you look at the first thing, what Jesus is doing, the first thing on your, on your uh, handout, Jesus is defining the relationship with his disciples and saying he wants them to have faith in him. Faith, believe. There's this moment where Jesus makes it very clear to his disciples, hey, we're just not going to be this band of guys that wander around and hang out and have a good time. There's actually going to be something important going on here. And it's, the, it's important for you that you believe in me, that you have faith in me as we go forward. What a great moment. I don't want to forget the servants here. What a great moment for them. Because if you look at that story closely, they're the first to realize something major has happened here. The servants. You know who was with uh, Jesus when he was born? It was the shepherds kind of what would be considered the lowest on the bottom rung of society in that day. Same thing here, the servants. What a great picture. You know what it means for me and you? It means that no matter where we are, let me rephrase that, no matter where you are, no matter how you think others see you, whether you feel unnoticed, that Jesus always sees you. Matter of fact, as I read the scriptures, he's always going to the outsider first. He's not going to the religious elite. He didn't say he had the Pharisees carry that jug of stone up there and get water. He has the servants. No matter where you are this morning, no matter how you view yourself, no matter how you see yourself, Jesus says, I see you. And the purpose is, is he wants you to believe. He wants you to have faith in him. Because when you believe in him, when you have faith in him, it does something more. And there's this word, miraculous signs is the way it's translated in NIV. And it's actually not a great translation. The better translation is just signs. We have miracles that we have seen, kind of natural miracles, right? We call the 80 Olympics when the Americans beat the Russians, the miracle on ice, right? Signs, though, are miracles that point to Jesus. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's, he's operating this sign that's now pointing to him and then conversely points to God. I think that there are signs around you in your life. I know there have been signs around me in my life that Jesus is using to get my attention. And if you're sitting here this morning going, yeah, I'm not sure I even buy this whole Jesus thing. I think maybe you're a little whack, Collie. Just know that he has reaching out to you. He's already done all the work. And if you're not sure, ask him, what do you have to lose? Hey, Jesus, all right, if you're real, show me things that you've been working in my life that maybe I'm not aware that that was you? See, those are the right kinds of questions. Those are the kinds of questions that God wants to answer, that he wants to respond to you with. And the best news about all that is that what do you got to lose? See, I think if you approach God that way and you say, all right, if you're real, Jesus, if you're real, if you're the real deal, then show me something you've been doing in my life that maybe I'm not aware of. That's where he wants to speak. 
All right, there's something else going on here too, though, isn't there? This whole thing with Mary. Because I think that defining the relationship with God and with Jesus means that we, we put our faith in him. We believe in him. But I think that Jesus also wants to continually redefine our relationship. And so he's constantly looking to redefine his relationship with you. So let's look at Mary again real quick. Here's this moment where Mary, mother of Jesus, goes to her son and says, hey, they've run out of wine. Now, this is the same Mary that in Luke 2 it tells us she, she pondered. She, she stored up all these things and pondered upon them. When Jesus was born, all these events were happening around his birth. And Luke 2 tells us that she has this great moment where she, she's like storing up all these things in her heart and she's pondering upon them. And so for 30 years, that stuff's been simmering. And she's going, all right, Jesus, here you go. Let's go, son. It's go time. And he responds to her with, woman. All right, let's, men, let's have a, ladies, you can listen if you want, but I'm going to speak to the men real quick for just a minute. It is not okay to ever use the word woman when you talk to your wife or your mother, okay? In other words, you could say, hey, honey, uh, would you cook me some dinner? That sounds nice and thoughtful and communicating well. It's assertive. When you say, woman, where's my dinner? It takes on a whole different tone, right? I mean, okay? Or, hey, honey, would you, you know, please kind of tidy up a little bit? I mean, even that's, a, it's kind of demanding, but soft. When you say, woman, why is this house dirty? Again, it, will, it won't go well with you, okay? So don't, don't use this, all right? But I want to make this clear that this moment He's not being disrespectful. Actually, the root word here, and just trust me on this, or you're welcome to go look it up and go to a lexicon. The root word here really means ma'am. And what he's trying to say is it's a polite term that you would use with a woman of stature or a woman who's respected. But the thing he's not saying is he's not saying mom. He's not saying mother. He's now treating her like he would any other woman of stature. In that moment, something would have clicked in from Mary's heart, and she would have realized that Jesus redefined her relationship with him. He was no longer her son. He was now Jesus, son of God. Something had clicked, and he's redefining this moment for her. And what I love is her responses, and, you know, she doesn't respond with, fine, you've always been kind of a pain. You know, you never would do your, clean up your room or make your bed or whatever. She didn't do any of that stuff. She actually responds in a really neat way because Jesus says, woman, why are you involving me, right? It's, okay, so ma'am, sweet lady who is a patri- or matriarch in our society, why are you involving me? And Jesus, and Mary doesn't respond to him, does she? She actually turns to the servants and says, hey, whatever he tells you to do, you do it. You could call it a little passive aggressive. But there's this moment here where she accepts it. I mean, she may have been hurt, but she accepts it. And she chooses how she's going to respond to it. And she responds by turning to the servants and saying, do whatever he's going to tell you to do. And here's a key moment for us. Jesus is going to do what Jesus wants to do. And we have taken that Romans 8.28 scripture of all things work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. And we stop at all things work together. Hey, man, it's all supposed to work together. 
Our problem is, is that we think it's going to work together like we think it should work, don't we? We have our own expectations of what that's going to look like, and we're like, hey, yo, Jesus, what's up? Why, why isn't this happening the way it's supposed to happen? That's not the way I had it happening in my mind. And what Mary does here is she's like, I'm not sure what Jesus is going to do, but I trust him. There's a great story, Lazarus raising from the dead. Martha comes running out to Jesus. Lazarus has been dead. He's been in the grave for a few days. Tells us he stinks. Mary, Martha runs, comes running out, and she goes, where were you? If you had been here, he wouldn't have died. But she has this great moment where she says, but even now, even now God will give you what you asked for. Even now. See, Mary has this, Mary, mother of Jesus, has this moment where she has an even now moment. Okay, I realize things have changed. You're Lord. You're going to do what you want to do, and I trust you. Servants, do what he tells you to do. How hard is that for us? Because, see, I think if you've been following Jesus for even a week, that your relationship is constantly being redefined. The one thing I can promise you about a life following Jesus is it will be constantly changing. Life is full of change. Jesus is going to consistently and constantly redefine his relationship with you. And what was okay for you to do last week, last month, last year, may not be okay for you to do next week, next month, next year. Because we're being transformed in the image of Christ. And he's calling us to be changed from the inside out. We were just singing that song. We're being changed from the inside out. Which means our relationship constantly continues to be redefined. I was telling you earlier about being a young adult pastor and the questions that they would ask, the, this idea of who am I going to marry. I have this great little personal story. I, um, I was a single pastor when I was leading this group. And the uh, senior pastor came to me and said, hey, I, I think you should take on an intern. And I'm like, great. So in my mind, I'm going through this list of guys, right, in our young adult ministry. And truthfully, at that time, our young adult ministry was like 10 people, so there wasn't very many. It didn't take me very long. Went, oh, no, none of those are going to work. And he goes, no, I think you should, I think you should bring Christy on as your intern. And I was like, uh, she, she's a she. He goes, no, no, I, th I think you need a female intern. I think you need somebody to help balance you out. You're kind of a hard-charging guy, and you tell people exactly what you think all the time. And I think you'll, like, freak the women out. I went, all right, I can see the wisdom of that. So I sit down with Christy, and I say, hey, you know, you're going to come on as my intern. It could be a little awkward. I'm the only single pastor on staff, and you're the only female intern in the whole staff, and so let's kind of talk through some boundaries. So we define the relationship in that moment. By the way, we had this really cool moment where I, I looked at her. Again, I, I would always say what I thought before kind of backing it off. I don't know if you've seen the movie Interstellar, but, you know, Matthew McConaughey looks at the computer and says, what's your honesty setting? And the guy goes, 100%. He goes, hey, let's back that off a little bit. So anyhow, we... I had needed to back my honesty setting off quite a bit because I had a feeling you know, I would always say exactly what I thought. In this moment, I looked at Christy, sweet young Christy intern, and said, you know, uh, I, I set her up with another mentor, a female mentor for her personal life. And I said, look, I said, here's the deal. I said, you know, this won't be that hard because I don't find you attractive. <laughs> okay, men, 
And young men, let me just be very clear, this is not the best pickup line ever. Actually, more often than not, it will get you slapped. Uh, she looks at me and she goes, well, I don't find you attractive either. And I was like, sweet, high five. It's before the days of the fist bump, so it was high five back then. So anyhow, so we, uh, uh, and then we set up other boundaries like we weren't going to ride in the car together. I mean, it was just, I was a single pastor. It was wise to set boundaries. It was not wise for me to say that, by the way. So six months later, I'm meeting with my senior pastor and he's asking me how I'm doing and we're dialoguing and he's like, well, how are you doing personally? I'm like, you know, I'm doing okay, yeah. I mean, things are busy. Our young adult ministry is blown up. We're running like 80 or 90 people now, and we're just kind of surprised by all these 20-somethings. And uh, I'm saying, you know, we're I'm doing good. And he goes, you know, my wife and I are praying for you, and we think that God might be in, bring relationship to you, and we want to give you permission to open your eyes. And I was like, what do you mean by that? <laughs> He's like, I just, I'm giving you, you know, if, if, if you feel like the Lord's leading you to somebody or God's highlighting somebody, let's talk about it. But I, I think God's going to bring a relationship to you. And I'm like, <laughs> so the first person I thought of was Christy. And my next thought was, get behind me, Satan. It's like, that can't be right. I mean, she was like my little sister. And so I literally, I had just chased two guys out of our young adult ministry who were like hawk and sweet Christy. I mean, they were, they were wolves. They were running around. By the way, I did that. I, I actually had a reputation that the guys in the uh, young adult ministry knew they had to actually ask my permission before they could date anybody because I was so protective of the young ladies in the ministry. But so I had two other things kind of confirmed to me that day that God was highlighting Christy. I'm freaking out. I'm like, I told her I didn't find her attractive. What do I do about that? How do you come back from that? So couple weeks go by, I'm avoiding her, I'm canceling all of our appointments, I'm like, I'm running from her, literally. And we, uh, we finally, the Lord speaks to me and says, through a series of events, and says, hey, you're a guy who speaks truth, tell her the truth. I was like, all right. So I sat down with her and I said, I don't know what is going on, but here's what I feel like the Lord's speaking to me. And now I'm a blubbering mess, because I'm so sure, like, this poor young lady is never going to want to be around church anymore, because her skeevy pastor is hitting on her, Right. And so what was hard about that moment was that she got to decide how she was going to respond. And she could have run screaming, or she could have leaned in, or she could have just said, man, I still don't find you attractive, get lost. By the way, the end of that story is we started dating, and then a a few weeks later I started finding her attractive, and it took her about three months because I'm an acquired taste. I understand that. And she's now my wife. But Jesus has done all that work. He's done all the work on your behalf, and it's now how you want to respond. So I want to finish with this last thought. There are only two people in the Gospel of John who are not mentioned by name. One of them is John. He describes himself as the one that Jesus loved over and over and over again. And I used to think that was hubris. And I'm realizing now it's not. And the other is Mary. She's not described as Mary, Mother Jesus. She's only described as Mother Jesus throughout the whole gospel. And I know that John loved Mary because Jesus tells him they're now in relationship together when he's hanging on the cross to take Mary in as his mom. So it's not a lack of love on John's part towards Mary. 
Here's the secret, I think. I think it's because they were so defined by their relationship with Jesus that John didn't even bother to put their names in the gospel. They were so defined. Everything about the way they viewed this world was defined by their relationship with Jesus. So let me ask this question. Are you forever defined by your relationship with Jesus? Because when we get to heaven, that's going to be the one that matters the most. Don't get me wrong. We were made for relationship. God created us for relationship. He created us to be to love him and to love others. That's the greatest commandment, right? But we are going to be forever known by the way we relate to Jesus. And I think it's even beyond that. I think we're supposed to be literally defined by that. So where are you this morning? Have you stepped in and said yes? Have you said yes and gotten your fire insurance and you're just kind of hanging out in the periphery, kind of going, yeah, I don't, I'm not all in yet. Do others know what you stand for in your heart? And by the way, you don't have to use words. St. Francis of Assisi used, says, preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. Your actions should so come, being with Jesus should so fill you that your actions will literally show him to others. Are you forever defined by your relationship with Jesus? Let's pray. Jesus, you are, you are just amazing. You're brilliant. You're smart. You're wise. You knew what you were doing from the beginning of time. And there's not a single person in this room, there's not a single one of us that you're not intimately aware of. I pray this morning that we would truly be a people who are defined by our relationship with Jesus. If you're sitting here this morning and you have never said yes to him, taken that first step, I want to encourage you, it's really easy. You just say yes. You turn to him. He's already done all the work. You just have to choose to say yes. And it could be as simple as, Jesus, I don't really get it all yet. I don't understand it all yet. I don't really get all where this is headed. But I want to say yes, and I want to start this journey fully embraced with you. Forgive me of my sins, come into my life and lead me. That's as simple as it gets. If you've never done that before, today is the day that he is calling you to enter into full relationship with him. Not a third-party relationship where you're watching from the outside. And so, Jesus, I pray for the rest of us. I pray for all of us who are on this journey of faith and still trying to figure this stuff out. I pray, Lord, that we would be open to being redefined over and over and over again in our relationship with you. And I pray, Lord, that the world would see us as people who are truly defined by our relationship with you. Help us to ooze you at everywhere we turn and everywhere we walk and everybody we come encounter with. Help that to be the most important relationship in our life. You, Jesus, our Lord. Thank you so much. Amen. Um, why don't you give a hand to Mike? Thank you for serving us this morning. Thank you.